0: You're listening to audio from Plank Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgirlharvest.org. Mothers of the world, uh, I had a super excited about the fellowship time this morning, seeing everyone smiling and enjoying one another. It was good. Welcome visitors that are here. And um, how many of y'all ever heard of Anna Jarvis? Anybody heard of that lady before? Anna Jarvis. That's where Mother's Day came from. She was some, she was a lady, and I, I think she, she actually finished up her life in a sanitarium, so she had some mental illness. But as a young woman, <clears throat> she was so proud of her mother that she wanted to have, uh, you like that one, how I stuck that plug in there? Anyway, uh, anyway, you know mean, people, there's crazy people out there that do good things. Look at me, look at me. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but uh, so, uh, so when she was a young woman, she just was really proud of her mother. She never got married, tragically, never had children. But um, maybe it was because she was crazy. I don't know. But she really loved her mother. She she began to go before Congress and ask them to make an official day to celebrate motherhood and, and mothers. And she wanted it to be an honoring thing. But she got frustrated as time went on because it immediately became this commercial success for florists because they could sell a certain flower. I can't remember what the flower was, but uh, they could sell this one certain flower, and they just got to selling gobs of these flowers. And so then she went back to Congress and tried to get them to get rid of Mother's Day. But it was such a commercial success that uh, um, that it never went away. It's the, it's the highest phone traffic day of the wor- of the year. And I mean, everybody's got a mother, and they all want to talk to them. So. Uh, and then uh, it was also one of the top five revenue-producing holidays. Uh, you don't think about that, but cards, eating out, and uh, and flowers. So so a few years ago, we did a, uh, we did a message on, Sunday, on a Sunday, a Mother's Day Sunday, and we really focused on uh, the wisdom of the mother. And in uh, that Proverbs 14.1, a wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands, has been a really key verse to me. There was a lady, it was called Sunshine on the Soap Sud, She had a radio program years ago, and it was real, it was kind of rinky-dink, but she always started off with this, with this scripture And she would always give great examples of of the influence of a woman, of the mother in the home, and how important it was, particularly her words. It's so easy to to tear things down, but it was very difficult to build things. I mean, Keith and I do a lot of construction. I mean, to demo a house is a lot easier in a lot of ways because it doesn't matter what it looks like when you get done. But to put it back together, Zach had a lady, didn't think he had what it took, and she cried when he got it put back together. He had it so destroyed. The destruction part's easy. He puts it back together and it looks nice, and she was like, oh, I love you, Zach. You did such a great job, you know. To put it back together takes skill. It takes art. It takes finesse. It takes know-how. It takes tools. So a good and a wise woman builds her home. She builds her home with her words and with her actions and her love. And a, and, a, and a foolish woman tears her house down. And I could, I could give you many examples. You know plenty of examples of those kind of women. There's a ton of truth there because in that one verse, a wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her own hands. When you find yourself plucking, ladies, stop and be wise because you'll catch yourself, now that I told you that, you'll catch yourself saying things you shouldn't say or, or, or whatever. So there's a ton of truth there in that, that one statement because the woman is so influential uh, on her children more so than the father in the first say six or seven years you know from the womb to say first grade because you're with your child all the time um I, this one lady gave a just a fantastic example i was listening to her. i think she's real funny i can't remember her name she's got kind of a polish name and it's kind of an odd last name i can't remember how it's pronounced but and i got to listening to her and sharp as a tack young gal I think she's like 35, has seven kids. I mean, she's a working machine. And she, uh, she said, she was talking about the influence of the, woman, of the mother on the children. And she, she said, for example, when a, when a mother brings her little child, like say Eva and below, you know, two years old, the little, the little bitty ones. And she takes them over to an animal like a pet or a dog or something. And it's the first time that child's experienced that. And she's trying to show the child that she doesn't need to have fear. He, she doesn't need to have fear. So the, so the mother looks at the the pet and then looks at the child. And the child looks at the face of the mother to see the reaction that they should have in response to this fuzzy creature. They don't even know what it's called, right? The mother's smiling and talks to it sweetly. And, oh, it's nice. You know, you can you can pet that, touch it with your hand, you know, and kind of puts the child's hand on it. Then the child... Fear is reduced and looks to the mother's face for response. And the mother has a pleasant face and a smiley face. And then so the child's like, oh, this is good. To pet this little animal is good. And, and you know, the opposite is true too. If a mother is a fearful woman or, or just doesn't like, you know, whatever, cats or dogs, whichever you are, whichever animal hater you are, um, and she portrays that to the child. Those are yucky, don't touch it or whatever. So then the child builds up an aversion to the animal. So it's just, it's always... You're always teaching as a mother, you're always teaching whether you think you are or not. A lot of people don't realize how much, most people don't realize how much their expression uh, tells, well, they can say one thing, no, I'm happy. But from their expression, you can tell, you know, be careful, uh, she's about to hurt you. So the, with the child there looking at that, um, the mother has the power to give bravery to the child, or fearfulness, or skepticism, or critical spirit to the child. It's very lot of influence there in, in mothering. I was listening to that same interview, Jed, and, and uh, he was talking about his mother versus the mother of his wife, this same missionary guy. And, uh, and I mean, his wife is just a, she's just a wild animal. I mean, she's such a great evangelist that she was leading all these people to Christ, knowing full well she was, I believe she was Iranian maybe, or she was a Muslim anyway, And she, uh, yeah, 250 people just, like she had barely accepted Christ, had the gift of evangelist, which it is a particular gift. We're all called to evangelize. We're all called to be ministers of the gospel. But she in particular had this gift of evangelism. And 250 people, she had 250 followers. But as persecution came, a large number of them fell away. And, And so he was, and she knew that by being this outspoken evangelist, this brave evangelist, that in time, you know, it'll cost her her life and she's willing to do it anyway. So I wanted to look at some women of the Bible, just brave women of the Bible. And, uh, you know, I got to be careful. I mean, a lot of, uh, you got to be careful when you're a guy and you're going to talk about, uh, feminine things, be careful. It can be very dangerous making it back to your car afterwards. So, uh, we're going <laughs> to try to talk about the brave women of the Bible today. And, and if you don't agree with me, um, my car is that new Suburban that's parked over here. Just go to that car and do whatever you want to it. And um, yeah, so, uh, so my first woman, that, this is one of my favorite, and this is crazy, I know I was a military guy, so I have a different way of looking at things, but my favorite woman of the Bible truly is JL. Anybody know who JL is? Who's JL? That's what I'm talking about. That's a woman right there. The bad king comes over there and she drives a tent stake through his head. That's a woman right there. That's in the book of Judges 5.24 is this blessing they say about her. But we'll tell you the story real quick. Back up just a hair to Judges chapter 4. It says, now Heber, Judges 4, verse 11. Now Heber the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. So these people are kin kind of around Robin Hood's barn there to uh, Moses through his father-in-law, okay? So these are a, a line of people, a tribe of people, not a race. There's only one race, the human race, but these are a tribe that lives in that Canaan area, and, uh, and these are direct kin to Moses' father-in-law. And this man Heber, he's, he's kind of a free thinker. He decides not to pitch his tent right next to the other people of his tribe. And it says he separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree, at Zaanaim, which is beside Kadesh, and so there's two kings at battle, right? Well, there's two entities. There's the Israelites, led by at this point a woman named Deborah, and she sends out a man named Barak because Barak is fearful. It, the Bible says that she tells him um, a woman is going to get the glory for this victory and not you. And he's such a, a sissy that he's like, okay, just don't send me. But anyway, she sends him anyway. And so on the on the good side is Barak and Deborah, and the children of Israel, and on the bad side is this king named Sisera. And so Sisera, so why aren't these Kenites? They're in between, they're Sweden, okay? They're non-combatants in between. And the reason is, is because these were metal workers. Uh, They were um, people that would make your armor and your swords and your weapons and things like that. So they were free, they were kind of free amongst both sides. Nobody wants to kill them, because if you need another sword, you can go over there and they'll make you one. So, but Jael... Wants to be with the people of god her spirit her heart is with the people of god and so in that She sees the opportunity sisera Is proven to be defeated. He goes on the run. He ends up in the tent of jail She invites him in she actually does something that's extremely countercultural in that she offers hospitality to the person So in that era, even if the person was your enemy you offer hospitality to them if they asked. they asked for a drink And then you give them a drink even if they're the enemy you if you allow them into your home You're allowing them protection if you remember that about lot Where the angels were in that in that city and he invites them into the home and then you are responsible for their protection Well, she's like come over here. He asks for water And I always wondered about this. She gives him milk instead, which is kind of an upgrade But if you're dying of thirst man warm milk, that'd be rough, but whatever so she gives him milk instead and she says, lay down here. And she covers him up with a rug. And, and, and he's tired from running and, and the stress of battle. He falls asleep. And then she must have been a, a, a well built woman because these were, now these were people, these were nomadic people, okay? And so they were used to setting up tents and tearing tents down. And the women, if you've been to Peru or if you've been to any of these places, you see that the women there work not dogging how you ladies work. I'm telling you, these ladies work hard. They work quite a bit harder. They're killing the animal. They're cleaning the animal. They're making fires and all the things that they have to do. It's a harder life. And so this is a tough lady. So she's used to driving tent stakes. And if you see the pictures of her, they got this little bitty tent peg. It's like a stick like this. It's a big peg. So she's more like a spear and then driving it through the sky. So she gets him to go to sleep. Verse 21, then Jael, Haber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. It's hilarious. I mean, I shouldn't laugh. And went softly to him, snuck in there, and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground. She didn't mess around, man. She completed the job. Drives it down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. That was, that was, that's a woman right there. So, uh, so, so, She was desiring, she sees the issue of people that are coming up against God's people. And in her heart, she desires to be with God's people. Another thing that could be potentially true here is the fact that, you know, if you have this bad guy in your tent and Barak comes over there and finds him in the tent, then he's going to kill you for harboring him. So that's another possibility. But she is a woman that's highly regarded by the Israelites, and in fact, they draw pictures, they drew pictures up of her up until the Middle Ages of like, if you, if you see an old-timey picture of a woman uh, that was considered like an authority figure or whatever, or, a, or someone with influence, they'll have their hands like this, and a lot of times they'll have a little hammer and a little stake in their hands. And that means they're, they have the spirit of J.L. They have of this bold spirit of bravery on them. And uh, there was quite a few pictures, if you want to look that up on the interweb you can find that but look at this blessing judges 5 verse 24 what a man to be to have any kind of blessing pronounced over you like this would be absolutely incredible most blessed among women is jael the wife of heber the kenite blessed is she among women in tents she asked he asked for water she gave him milk she brought out cream in a lordly bowl she stretched her hand to the tent peg her right hand to the workman's hammer she pounded Sisera, she pierced his head, she split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. And then the song goes on to mock Sisera that his mother's at home thinking he's doing good and um, he was actually destroyed. So her heart is that Acts five twenty twenty nine: obey God rather than man heart. And she sees her actions as doing whatever it takes to protect her family from the wickedness of Sisera, and to, and to maintain her household, she's a wise woman. She's a wise woman. She's caring for her family. And in, and in hearing this and the next one, I'm going to tell you, what I want you to see is not everybody lives like we live. Um, and I want you as women of our fellowship to not become so civilized, ladies, that you're not willing to do whatever it takes to be brave. Don't become so civilized that you're not willing to do whatever it takes to be brave. And we're going to see some things as we get towards the end of this of why we've got we to gotta brave it up a little. So the next Old Testament heroine I want to tell you about is not really on, on the good side, so-called. That's in 2 Samuel 11. In 2 Samuel 11, you'll see that's the story of where David starts going downhill. That's in 2 Samuel 11. But it's described in there of a battle against the the countrymen of Rabbah in 2 Samuel 11. Uh, Let's see what the verse is. Uh, Verse 21 is where we hear about this woman. She's an unnamed woman. And so David's men go against this wall. This is where Uriah the Hittite is killed. And in the same battle, you have these people defending their fortress and this woman throws an, a, a millstone over the wall, and it kills a man, hits him on the head and kills him. That's a good woman. Because what she's doing is, in the defense of her nation, she's doing whatever it takes to fend off those that are putting her people, her family, or whatever countrymen at harm. We don't really see that. We, we read that, and we think that that's an outlier. But, I mean, there's a little mama bear in there, and every woman. You put her, I mean, you hear of women lifting cars off of children when they're in danger. That's, that's what happens. When everything's at stake, that's what you got to do. She's doing what you have to do. Don't be so civilized that you're not doing whatever it, has to, whatever it takes to be brave. She's doing what she's got to do. She's defending her people, her children, against those that are coming to attack. So you remember in the Old West, just, uh, we won't dwell on this too much because I want to go a more positive direction here, but in the Old West, you know, you remember those ladies um, that, uh, you know, when they had the old single shot muzzle loaders, and so they would maybe have one or two of them, and so they're fending off the Indians, so the woman's in the back loading the muzzle loader and then handing it to the husband. He shoots that one, she loads that one, he shoots the next one, she loads that one. It's what, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. We have been so blessed. Man, we have been blessed in this nation since before World War II. We've never, ever had people, well, since the the War of Independence from England, we've never had to fight off another nation in our own land. And women haven't had to go to the battlefronts and fire weapons and And Kill people that are trying to harm their family. We are blessed by God If you don't believe that America was a once God-blessed nation, then I'm sorry, but you're you're terribly mistaken We have been blessed by God and uh, To not have to do that and I I wonder if those days are coming to an end But when we see bold women doing bold things, we don't need to slight them or demean them one of my favorite ladies around here most of you probably don't know her her name is uh, Nancy Baldwin She's kin to Jimmy, kind of distant kin to Jimmy's dad. And this is a rough old girl. She's big, she's tough, and she runs cattle. And I've seen she pulled a calf for me one time. I was gone, and, and, and she came come over to the house. And um, um, she's not a supermodel, but, man, that's a real woman right there. She can make it happen. She does what it takes. She had a hay bale fall on her, and it broke her neck. And she was face down under this hay bale for about four hours before somebody saw her hair sticking out from underneath it. And, um, and they got her out of there and fixed her up. In about three months, man, she was back at it. She's tough as a boot heel. Don't slight Nancy Baldwin because she doesn't, you know, have pretty makeup on and, you know, nice fingernails and whatever. Know that she's doing what she has to do to take care of her family. She takes care of her mother, who just recently passed away, who was blind. And so she was working this farm to care for her. She actually retired from a, a nuclear engineer um, to be a farmer, to take care of her mother. So she's doing what she has to do. She's a bold woman. So while the man should be the primary protector in the home, uh, a wise woman builds her house, and that includes taking care of her house, doing what she has to do to make it happen. Remember Rahab in the Old Testament, again, the concern for her family. She sees that God's people are coming in and that they're ultimately going to be the victors in this. Rahab does what she has to do to care for her family, and then eventually she ends up in the lineage of Christ, Rahab the prostitute. There's no limit to what God can do. There's a lady named Esther, we remember. Again, does what she has to do to care for her people, for her nation. Jeho Shahabeth is her name. It's in 2 Chronicles 22. She steals the future king, Josiah, from another, I believe it's Satan, indwelling men. Another lady that was wanting to kill off this line of David. And this lady's willing to risk her own life to preserve the lineage of King David. So the thing that these ladies have in common, and this is a thing I think we miss sometimes in our, in our culture, is they have an awareness of the situation that's going on around them. And so their bravery is rooted in a sense of wrongdoing or, um, or a feeling of offense. They, they see these offensive things that are happening, and it emboldens them to go into action. Um, right after this last election a number of people told me well i'm just going to quit watching the news it's all negative it's all bad and then i'm just going to leave you know i'm just going to put nice pictures on facebook and i'm just going to have happy thoughts i'm going to see good that's good but the bible tells us to be wise as serpents yet gentle as doves we got to be both we need to be aware of the direction of things as they go and we need to be bold in acting against negative things, against God's people when we see them. I was reading in, in, in here, and I know it's in, I know it's in, the, in um, uh, Deuteronomy, but it's again in, in Chronicles, I believe, where it said that there was no remission for the shedding of innocent blood. And God said he was going to withdraw his hand from the nation of Israel because they were so... They were just killing children on this um, altar of Molech. They would heat this bronze thing up, this big man, and he's sitting there like this, and it's bronze. And they would make a fire under it and get it hot and then throw an infant on it. And we say, well, that's terrible. What kind of. Auto- What's abortion? There's no remission for the shedding of innocent blood. And yet in our nation, we've shed innocent blood for ever how many years. It's pitiful, it's shameful. But God's people have been largely silent. And those who have spoken up have been mocked by other believers. Well, can you believe that guy? Man, he can't even stand to be around that guy. All he talks about is, you know, how terrible abortion is. Man, God bless the truth tellers. God bless the prophets. We can't hide our heads in the sand and be bold. It's the one that runs to the sounds of the gun that wins the the medal of honor. It's not the one who hides in the ditch and hopes he doesn't get shot. Maybe you give your life, maybe you don't. But these ladies were willing to risk their own lives, if need be, to right wrongs, to protect the innocent, to defend the lives of their families and even their, their communities. You've got to watch the, Dave told me this this morning, It's kind of funny, but, you know, you know, in magic, you know, they say to you know, keep an eye on what both hands are doing because they get you watching this hand and this hand over here is doing something else and then ta-da, they got the bird or whatever. And that's what goes on a lot with political things or the news a lot of times. Something terribly negative can be happening over here And then they'll start throwing out a bunch of something else over here and distract our attention. And we end up looking at this instead of looking at what's really happening. And God's people are as weak in this as anyone. So beware the the magic two hands. Watch for both hands. See what they're doing. See what the world's doing. See how it's leading our children away. See how it's leading young adults away. See how the, the influence of the things of the if it's the internet or television or whatever that you're putting in your mind, see how it's leading you away from following the Lord with your whole heart. The Bible portrays godly women as caretakers. And so if we go from the Old Testament, let's go to the New Testament now. So they're caretakers of Christ. We really see that. I was going to go that direction, but maybe we'll do that next year. But uh, they're, they're such caretakers. If you see the total number of ladies in the New Testament and how they care for either Christ, the disciples, or the, uh, the, the missionaries, as you get Paul and Peter and they start going on the missionary journeys, women at, woman after woman after woman, inviting them into their homes, feeding them, caring for them, providing them with money. Some women are single women, some are widows, some are married. And one of my favorite, so is my favorite Old Testament lady. Lydia, Acts chapter 16, is my favorite New Testament lady. So let's go there, Acts 16. It's 16, verse 13 is where it starts. So the Bible portrays these godly women in the New Testament as caretakers of Christ, devout in prayer, humble in service, careful in word, and strong in evangelism. So when we see Lydia crop up here, this is a true Proverbs 31 woman right here. She's providing an income. She's particularly skilled in the work that she does. And she's a godly woman. Even though she doesn't know Christ at this point, she's seeking to be obedient to God the Father and to do His will as, as best as she is able. And it says that it's customary for her to go down to the river and worship with these other ladies every day. Verse 13, 16, verse 13, Acts 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went, Paul speaking and his associates, we went out of the, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Women don't have the same rights in this neck of the, this day and age this time as men did. They had this outer court that they could meet in, but not the inner court. They couldn't gain access to God like the men could. And so they chose to work, and also it was somewhat dangerous for them. And so, uh, so they chose to go to this other place. It's safe to worship freely here by this river. Now a certain woman, verse 14, named Lydia, heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken of by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. Verse 40. And so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So that's kind of, it's not a whole lot of information on the lady, but we see her crop up again in, in uh, Philippians. He gets a, he, she gets a shout-out of encouragement because of how much she's cared for the church. But let's go to this right here. This lady, this seller of purple, she has a business, but her business is not who she is. That's what we talked about at the rescue mission um, on Friday night. What you do is not who you are. What you are is what you, whatever you are in Christ. Either you have relationship with Christ or you don't. Outside of Christ, then you're just a pile of dirt walking around. God said he made man, he created man from the dust of the ground, and that's all you are without Christ. But with Christ, you're a joint heir with Christ, a child, a son, a daughter of the Most High God, and sit in, sitting in the future at the right hand of Christ as he sits at the right hand of the Father. That's what you are. But other than that, you're not much. Lydia recognized immediately what she was. She was a woman of God, and she, she heard her ears were open to hearing the gospel. When she heard the gospel, um, she immediately began to use her She didn't quit her job and begin to follow Paul. She kept doing her job. She did her job very well. Do everything that you do as unto the Lord. Do it better than anyone else feeling, uh, uh, feeling that sense of God observing you in all things that you do, and do it very well, just like if your father was watching you, how you do a much better job, young people, when dad's watching than when he's not. So she kept selling, and she, she was like that, um, uh, that evangelism method of Andrew. She hears the word. She immediately gets her household, verse 15, and they were baptized as well. So she hears the word. She tells them, you've got to hear the word. She tells them. They hear the word. And she's like, let's all get baptized. And then she begins to lead them in that. And then she's so generous with her wealth. She cares for the missionaries, and she's immediately freed from fear. If we go back to that verse 40, you'll see that the reason he came to her house was because he just got let out of prison. So he's leading all these people to Christ, and then they capture him, and, uh, and uh, this is the day that the, 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 um, the prison doors open, and the guard is fearful that they're, you know, they're going to kill him. And so, uh, and Paul says, no, we're, we're here, everything's cool. And uh, so he's released from prison, but you don't go to prison there just it's not just like, you know Going down to the county library There was some beating involved and, and that kind of thing before they get there And so uh, then the multitude it says verse 22 rose up together against them And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods And after they had laid many stripes on them They threw them into prison commanding the jailer to keep them securely. It was a rough night And so this lady they get out of prison and she's like well come to my house so now you're going to incur the wrath of the community around by bringing this person that they just beaten, that they've just convicted of this crime of preaching the gospel, and she's like, well, come in my house. That's a brave lady right there. And then the last one I'll mention is Aquila and Priscilla from Acts 18.2. And as soon as they hear the gospel, they begin to pray, uh, begin to pray, grow spiritually, um, um, study the word, um, and become close disciples of uh, paul and of christ and they grow in the word to the point so wise in the word that when they see apollos come a man who's a godly man they see him come rather than watch him give a false word they go to him in humility but in boldness and they tell him that the messiah has in fact come no longer do you have to baptize for the remission of sins but you can baptize in christ for a new birth and uh telling him that and um, and they're able to lead Apollos, a godly man, into a greater ministry because they're able to lead him to Christ, lead him to the Holy Spirit. So that's another uh, solid one. That's Acts 18, 26, if you want to look that up. So I'm giving you those as examples. Everything in the Bible is written to us as examples for us in how to live. And so as a, as a woman of God, I could look at any of those. You could look at any of those and, and, and find positive traits of boldness, of bravery, of womanhood. But let's go to the godly woman in Titus 2. This is where I really want to settle because I want to finish in Titus. I want to apologize to you all. I listened to a a sermon that I did a while back and I was like, man, that thing was like 50 minutes long. So I'm really sorry for those long ones. So I'll try to keep it shorter and more to the point. And uh, hopefully you will see that as a blessing and not a curse. Um, Titus 2 and I want to start in verse 2, and it starts off with the older men. So Titus is giving, Paul's giving Titus direction in what the church is supposed to look like. So all these guys are planting these small churches, and they're doing this work out in these communities, but they really, they really have no answers for people who are like, well, if I'm a Christian, why is that different from living like the world? And he's like, well, you can do this and this and this. You know, the book of Ephesians is a good example in that, of just there's the old way, and now live this way. And, and Titus and First and Second Timothy are these messages to pastors to encourage them in building the church. And Paul is an encourager. So, uh, so it says in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2, Titus, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Patience, not impatient. In patience. And then the reason I read you that, because at the start of verse 3 it says, the older women likewise. So all the things that these men are to be, you're to be as a lady. The older women likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given much to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And then it keeps on going with these, with these positive traits. And then in verse 3, it says, uh, well, I'm not going to go there. We'll, we'll get there in a second. Let's finish this one first. So 2 through five, it tells these ladies how they need to be. Timothy or Titus, I want you to help build these ladies up in this way. Verse three, it says the older women likewise. Um, So all the traits that are needed in the men are needed in the older women as well. And by older women, I don't think there's an age on this. I think this is women that have experience with children already. So it's not like a 50 and up or 60 and up it's just women that have experience with children versus those that are young mothers and are just you know or whatever even maidens are just coming into the faith or whatever but these women that have experience we'll call them experienced women these experienced women likewise are going to teach the young. i think this is one of the key verses in the bible it says these traits that are needed in men are desired in women as well and not only that That they would be reverent and not slanderers. You know, we're bad to talk about one another. Not given to much wine. Keeping an orderly household where that's not your idol. That that drinking is not your idol. Um, Not a slanderer. And a teacher of good things. And that they admonish the young women to do these things. Um, Teachers of good things and admonishing the young women. And it says what it is. uh, To love their husbands, love their children, be discreet. Chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, and the word of God—that the word of God may not be blasphemed. This takes great bravery in our world right now. A, a feminist culture that rose up there in the fifties and sixties that said all the things—I'm not even going to go into that—but all the things that it said that actually demeaned women instead of putting them in their right order, right where they should be honored and. And more, how much easier to love a woman like this with these traits than angry and bitter and desiring for divorce and desiring for authority and selfish and, and having these issues of idolatry and rebellion. The older ladies teach the younger ladies. You know, you know why this works? Irene, um, Renee's wife Irene uh, Gonzalez, is a good lady. She'll be here. They'll be here in July, and she does a lot of ministry to ladies. She's an older lady. She's about 70, and then she really enjoys teaching younger ladies and then bringing them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and so on, but it it works because if an old, for one thing, I mean, we know we have the difference in our desires and the ways we think between men and women, and if an older woman goes to a a younger woman or even an older woman, uh, particularly one that's not his wife, he's going to be quickly rebuked. And if a husband goes to his wife and says, hey, you need to do these certain things. I can't believe you're not acting this way. I can't believe you're acting this way. You're not acting this way. Well, then he's got to sleep with one eye open for the rest of his life and fear of death in his his bed there. But it takes, it it just takes a woman to understand a woman. She's going to understand the emotional aspect and the things that's going on in this lady's um, spirit and in her mind and in her thinking and all these things. And then also she has these experiences having already gone through it. This one lady that was at um, Central Baptist for like 30-something years, she cared for the little kids in the nursery. And a lot of the young ladies would get mad at her because she would tell them, well, you know, if your baby's got colic, you should do this. And if your baby's got this and that, you should... and they'd be like, well, what does she know? Well, she knows because she's been doing it for 35 years, 40 years, 50 years. She knows. She had five or six kids of her own. And she's not doing it to be ugly, she's doing it to help. She's doing it because it's what the Bible assigns her to do. Admonish the young women to love, this is how it works. If I know that you love me, you can, you can about say whatever you want to me, right? If I don't know that you love me, or if I think that you kind of dislike me, which is not uncommon, you know, uh, whatever emotion that people have towards me, that's okay. But if I know that you love him, you can say whatever you want. Me and Zach, we have a good time. He dogs me. I dog him. It's it's love. But if I know that it's just conflict and that you're telling me this because you're wanting to crush me or you're trying to injure me, then I'm not going to receive it in the same way. So when I have a relationship with an an older lady, I'm a lady and I have a relationship with an older lady, and I know that she loves me and she's looking at me and saying, I see this thing going on with with your husband, the way you talk about your husband. You say these negative things about your husband. And I used to do a similar thing, and it drove a wedge between me and my husband. She knows you love her, and she loves you, and so it's received easily. It doesn't come across as bullying or humiliating. It comes across as she cares and she wants me to succeed. And, and if I can take it, if I can hear it in the way that it's given to me, then everyone benefits. My marriage benefits. My husband benefits. I don't leave my kids in the car with the windows rolled up in the summer. They live You know, everyone benefits in the long term because this lady knows. Children and small pets, no more than five minutes in the car or down on the radio. That's the only reason I know that. But the the fact is, is that we need these old, we, we tend in America, we're really bad to reject older people and their views on things and their wisdom. Really bad. Particularly bad in the last... 50, 60 years, because we no longer live with our grandparents. You know, our grandparents, we put them in nursing homes and whatever, they croak. But back in the day, when they lived in the home with us, in many cultures, every generation lives in the house, and the young take care of the old, and then it keeps on going. But the benefit of that is you get the wisdom of the older person on the younger person. And it's a great benefit, because you don't have to struggle with the same issues that those people have already learned and experienced in I just thought this was such a powerful thing right here. It takes humility and it takes obvious love for one another for this to work. But the body of Christ just explodes when these women take care of one another. We have this older lady teaching who's who's been in the word for 20, 30, 40 years. And we have this younger lady who's new to the faith. And she can just pour into her and tell her all what it means to be a follower of Christ and give her that that discipleship mentality that desire to follow christ daily the desire to pray for her husband daily you remember that movie um war room i don't know if you saw it or not it's um pamela or priscilla schreier and there's an older black lady that's caring for uh, her as she moves into this neighborhood and she goes here's my prayer clause and i go in here every day and i pray for my husband and i pray for my children and um and then over time my husband was saved over time my children were saved that woman gives you that that idea. You don't even think about that. You know, I pray for stuff. You know, I pray for safe travels and that my kid doesn't stub his toe at school today or whatever. But I'm not praying deeply for my children like I should, that they should come to Christ and that they should desire to walk in faith every day of their life, that they should seek out the Most High God and figure out what His will is and be obedient in that. I'm not praying for my children's future spouses like I should. And this older gal can tell the younger girls and then they both benefit from it. The older lady gets to use her spiritual gift. The younger gal gets to be encouraged and, and not have to make these these mistakes that end terribly sometimes, you know, in divorce or whatever. And so both ladies benefit from it. Um, so, in that, I have a call to bravery for you ladies today. Um, we have some really good, I was I was thinking this morning, I talked to some of you girls this morning, ladies this morning, and and, uh, I, mean, I mean, we have a number of ladies that have multiple kids, and, uh, you know, Whitney and, and well, or Grace and Tracy, we got a minimum number of kids that you got to have to come to this church, it's like five or six or something, I don't know. It's pretty high. If you don't have that many, I don't know, man, <laughs> we'll, we'll assign you some, but we got a lot of kids going here, and these ladies are, are tired sometimes, but I'm going to tell you, we got some really good mamas in this, in this church because they really care about the spiritual development of their children, I wrote in that devotional you can take one, by, they' by the door there about Mary, Elizabeth and Samuel's mother that all three of them, they had dedicated their children to the Father, to the Lord, before they were ever born, and then they sought their whole life to keep them focused on following God. That's a good mother. A lot of women get tore up when if you start talking about lady things, women issues, whatever, and you bring up Proverbs 31, they all roll their eyes, oh my God, no, we can be a Proverbs 31 woman. Look at Proverbs 31, and it comes down to like two or three things. It comes down to love and care for her household, and it comes down to fervently following God. And all that other jazz, it, it just fits right in there the making the living and the making the bed and the making the soup and the caring for the kid and the spanking the other kid and changing the diaper, all that falls under love and care and following God. And the house is blessed because of it. A wise woman builds her house. She loves her children. She loves her husband. She cares for her children. She cares for her husband. She cares for her home. And she follows God fervently. If you're doing those things, man, you're a thousand steps ahead of the culture at large. And we have those good ladies in this church, but I have a, I have a, a call to bravery this morning. Three churches are talking about this today, um, and I want to encourage you to open your eyes, ladies. I, I fear that many of you are kind of um, apathetic to the big picture of things that are going on in our culture. And you don't want to really get involved in it because you're concerned that it's going to affect the, the, the life. We have a nice life. I have a really nice life. Um, we have a really nice life. We get really interested in what other people are doing on Facebook and where they're going on vacation and whatever. And we're not seeing the negatives that are happening. So a negative thing happened at our school in our school system this week where um, um, about three or four weeks ago, Dave Pritchard was called to the office because he had his book that he wrote back there. And uh, they said, well, if you're going to have that on your Instagram page, well, then you have to separate yourself from the school system. You can't be wearing your uniform and then having that book on there and all this stuff. And if I read the First Amendment, which I did the other day, just to be sure, but it says that the government cannot prohibit the free exercise of religion thereof. So not only can the government not make a state religion, but it can't prohibit us from the free exercise of religion either. But Dave has every right to be as religious as he chooses to be, just like the students do. I mean, if he wants to be a Christian, he has every right to do that, and you can't prohibit him from doing that. So ladies, the first thing I want you to do this week is read the First Amendment, and I want you to understand what it means to have freedom of religion in this country. And I want you to know it, and I want your kids to know it, I want you to teach your children this, dads, helper, so that they have an answer to those who like Paul remember when Paul was arrested and they started beating him and he let him beat him And then afterwards he goes. Oh, is it okay to beat a roman citizen now without a trial, huh? Because he knew the law and I don't know if you heard about that Canadian pastor and they came in and the police came in and told him to shut his service down And he said he said our law states That you cannot interrupt A religious service that that's a crime now you get out of my church and they were like Ooh, that is the law and they left They still arrested the guy, but they let him have his service. We need to know the law of our land, and we need to be confident in what it is. So the first thing is know the law of your land. The second thing is this. So on Friday or or whatever Friday, I guess, or Thursday or Friday of last week, previous week, they had a faculty meeting at Cumberland County Schools, and they had the teachers in there, and they asked the teachers, they told the teachers that if you see your students praying, that you need to separate yourself from your students, and if a student even asks you to pray with them, you have to tell them, no, I can't, and you have to move away. But that's prohibiting the free exercise of religion thereof of every single person, including the teacher. And so I want you ladies, in bravery, to speak out. You want to put stuff on Facebook? Put that on Facebook. Write to your school, whoever it is, what's the, what's the word there? School board member. I, I wrote mine and, and told her what I thought. She's yet to respond. That's okay. I was pretty nice about it, too. But this is Cumberland County, Tennessee. And I'm going to tell you that it's probably one of the least religious counties of the surrounding counties. Dave was telling me that almost every school around, they pray at football games and before the start of stuff, except for ours. They no longer allow the Gideons to meet. That was our our friend Janet Graham did that. They no longer allow the Gideons to hand out Bibles in schools. And it's largely because the Christians quit throwing the millstones over the wall. They quit standing up beside those that were trying to fight against it. They mocked the people that were doing the hard work of evangelism, that were doing the hard work of preaching, and they let the preaching stay in the building, and they never carried it with them outside. But I'm asking you ladies in bravery to, to, to help me load some rifles here and to go out there and to be brave women. You're not just protecting your own family by keeping them at home or keeping them in the Christian school. That's good. Homeschooling is great. Christian school, great. I'm telling you, our whole country, we're all going to go down together. It ain't just going to be, you're going to be safe and everybody else, We're all going down together. And we know that by our rights, we have every right to speak against um, tyrannical government. So I ask you to consider writing your uh, school superintendents. Write the paper and, and do what you got to do. And speak out with your lady friends when you see them on Facebook and they put these things on there that are not true about... Um, the separation of church and state. It's not an amendment. It's not in the Constitution. It is not. It's a lie, and it's been perpetrated and pushed for a long time. And now is the time for boldness, friends. I was watching that Sheep and Wolves, Sheep Among Wolves, and I've watched that, uh, um, and I listened to that other podcast by the same guy, and uh, I'm thinking, you know, we're not too far from that. uh, The president just, on the National Day of Prayer's first time in 40 years, he never mentioned the name of God. It's no longer a... um, I mean, they used to kind of do it as a sham. Maybe the guy wasn't that spiritual, whatever, but he'd pray to God, whatever, no big deal, no skin off my back. They won't even do that now. So who will? Who's going to stand beside the men and throw the millstone over the wall? Don't become so civilized that you're not willing to do what it takes to be brave. May you godly women here be as quick to drive the stake and throw the millstone as you are to be caring and loving and and diligent and God-fearing, which you are. I've seen you. I've seen your desire to love your families and love your husbands and and love your children and pray for them and to be devout in worship together and to sing, to have small groups. I've seen you do all those things, and now it's time to be bold. And I tell you this out of love. I do love you. I love this fellowship. I love the people here, and I love the spirit of the people here. And I think we need to be called to awaken there a little bit. And I know this is Mother's Day, and I'm, I'm particularly proud, I really am, of the ladies of this, of the mothers of this church and um and the care they take of their families i wanted to read you another um well and and last point is guys support your wives fathers be good fathers read the word in your home preach the gospel to your children uh that guy was saying one of the one of the one of the suggestions he made was tell five people a week about the hope that's within you we don't tell anyone just one a day tell someone the hope that's within you and and don't let it die here. You hear a good word, whether this was good or not, I don't know, but you hear a good word, take it beyond the door because for lack of that, our country is failing. I want to take a time for prayer, but then I have something that we need to talk about, so let's pray together, and then we gotta, we got to talk about one other thing and um, that's that a little bit of a business thing, but I don't want to mix it with this. I want it to be separate from this. So I want to leave the the area up here in the front, if you want to come and pray, fathers, you want to bring your wives up here and pray, maybe maybe I could encourage you to do that this morning. Husbands, bring your wives up here and pray with them and encourage them in boldness in the care for their children. Encourage them. And be bold yourself. They will be more bold as they see you be bold. I'm going to wait. Come and pray. Let's rededicate ourselves to boldness this day.